May it please the listeners. My name is Rich Schoenstein, and this is Law Brief. Sarah Palin is suing the New York Times. They're about to go to trial. And here with me to talk about it is my colleague, Joel Rosner. How are you doing today, Joel? I'm doing great. I mean, it's, a, it's a fun case to talk about. Yeah, it is a fun case. She is in town. She is dining out to much acclaim. And this week, she's supposed to go in front of the jury in a trial that was delayed a week because of covid but is scheduled to start in a couple of days. So, Joel, uh, what is this case all about? What is she suing the New York Times for? So she's suing the Times for defamation relating to an editorial the Times wrote in 2017. And it's helpful at the beginning to sort of understand the difference between sort of ordinary defamation and defamation of a, of a public figure like Sarah Palin. That is a very good starting place. So she is, you know, this is a former nominee for the vice president of the United States, former governor. She's clearly a public figure and uh, she's suing the gray lady herself. What has she got to prove to win a defamation case? So in addition to showing that the statement that was made was false, she also has to show that the Times published it with what they call actual malice, which while it sounds like the Times has to dislike her, it, it's not, it, it's a little bit more than that. They have to show that the Times knew the statement was false when it was published, or that they acted with, uh, as they say, reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. And it's really a test of what the writer was thinking when they wrote the editorial back in 2017. Okay, and what exactly does she say the Times published that was false? So the Times editorial came uh, following a shooting of some Congress people back in 2017, and the editorial went out that night, and it talked about political incitement to violence. And one of the things it, it mentioned was that in 2011, Congressman Gabby Gifford and some other people had been shot in Arizona, and that people at the time blamed an ad that was put out that, that earlier that year by uh, Palin's Political Action Committee. And the editorial said that the ad had contained a map of targeted electoral districts that put Ms. Giffords and the other Democrats under stylized crosshairs. The problem is that's not what the ad did. It, it actually had crosshairs on a map, and it listed some congresspeople below that for those who the congresspeople for those districts. And while Giffords was there, there were no crosshairs on, on her name. There was no pictures of anybody there. And while it became an issue in 2011, it, it pretty quickly dropped as an issue once they realized there was no there was no link to showing that there was a connection. So Sarah Palin says, New York Times, you made it sound like I put out an ad with Gabby Gifford's face in the crosshairs, and that's not what the ad was. Exactly. And and the Times the Times said that, oh, this is an honest mistake. We were rushing to print. We had to get this stuff out in the, the at the speed the news moves. And we issued a correction the next day. We acknowledged that we misdescribed the ad. We made corrections. And, you know, that's just the way it works. And Palin's not obviously taking that that acceptance. And she brought the lawsuit against the Times. And what she's argued is that the the Times knew this was false. And they knew it was false for a couple of reasons. One is the editor that wrote the piece, James Bennett, she says he was personally hostile toward her because his brother is the sitting U.S. senator from Colorado, Michael Bennett. 
And in addition to being politically opposed to Sarah Palin, Bennett, Michael Bennett, was threatened by a shooter two days before the Gifford shooting. And both Bennett's have become major gun control advocates since then. So Palin said that this was essentially a political hit piece by an opponent who was motivated to misdescribe the situation. And one other further point that's kind of interesting is the article itself, the editorial links to an article by ABC News that said there was no link between the shooting and the ad and actually just correctly described the ad. And both sides have pointed to that as proof that they're right. So they're saying that the Times and specifically Bennett had a personal political difference with Sarah Palin and knew or could have known that the way they described the ad was false and misleading. Right. And in addition, because the Times itself had published articles about that and sort of the Atlantic where Bennett had been editor. And so all of that was enough of a reason to show, according to Palin, that the Times had actual malice and should be allowed to go forward. So the the case initially got dismissed by Judge Rakoff in federal court But the Second Circuit overturned it on appeal and said that if Palin's version of events was true, that would be enough for actual malice. And uh, that's already a pretty unusual situation for a newspaper case because newspapers and other media entities usually have a pretty easy time when it comes to defamation cases. It's very hard to show the kind of actual malice you'd need to get a newspaper in trouble. Right. The the New York Times gets sued all the time for this kind of thing and routinely gets those cases dismissed, right? Right. They actually claim they have a 50-year track record since a case called New York Times versus Sullivan, which is where this actual malice standard started to uh, become the governing standard for newspapers. So it, it's pretty unusual to go even past a motion to dismiss. It's especially unusual to go past summary judgment, and that's what happened. That's why we're on for trial now, because the the trial judge said that he thought that if Palin's right, that she could win. So we're all set for a trial, and it's been a little crazy even beyond that. Because there's been a fight over damages at the start of the trial at this point. Well, let's let's hold off on damages for a second. You know, this sure. this case is before Judge Jed Rakoff. We could probably have a whole episode about him. <laughs> He's one of the great characters of the Southern District of New York, right? He is. In fact, he's already injected himself into this case. He announced the delay of the trial and referring to Palin's COVID diagnosis, he, he commented that she was, of course, unvaccinated. Yeah. So <laughs> I bet she didn't like that. Well, all right. So one more moment on actual malice. Why is it that we require that showing in a case involving a public figure where we don't with private individuals? So there's, there's a couple of reasons. One is that when public figures, when you have news reporting in particular about public figures, there is a sense that we allow an honest mistake as the trade-off or an occasional honest mistake as the trade-off for a free press because there are deadlines, there are production schedules, and we don't necessarily require perfect accuracy. And a second reason that sometimes gets discussed is Unlike you or I, a public figure has real opportunity to correct the record independently. If Sarah Palin calls a news conference to discuss this case, it's going to be attended. People are going to watch it. They're going to hear what she has to say. I don't get quite that same luxury if someone says something bad about me. So there's this idea that they can defend themselves. They're newsworthy. We want the news out there. We're willing to kind of look the other way 
when this sort of thing happens. And in fact, that's why Palin's lawyers have said that's why they brought this case, because they think that should change. They want it to change as a result of this case. All right. That's interesting. Now, so she's got to go to she's going to trial. She'll have a civil jury, which are six jurors in the Southern District of New York and a couple alternates. Yep. And she'll try to prove actual malice. And now let's talk about damages. Assuming she can prove that the statement was false and misleading and that the Times had actual malice in issuing it, how does she recover any money here? So she doesn't actually have to recover money if she just wants to take the win. She's argued that this is what's called per se defamatory, meaning that it's it's the kind of statement that is so harmful as a category that we don't even ask whether you've been harmed. We just assume you've been harmed. So she says the Times has accused her of a crime, for example. Right. That's one of the classic categories of per se defamation, accusation of a felony, saying someone has a loathsome disease is another one. And also uh, injuring someone in their in their ability to perform a business. And I guess she's claiming that it's making it impossible for her to do whatever it is she wants to do because she's been described in this very unpleasant way. And Jed Rakoff has allowed her to, to go forward with that. The Times tried to get rid of that defense, that argument, and, and he's allowing it forward. But on the other hand, she had claimed about $400,000 in damages to her reputation because that's defamation damages are not about the same kind of thing like breaking a leg and having to get medical bills. This is about a harm to reputation is shown by how your opportunities have changed. How do people approach you? Have you lost jobs because someone doesn't want to hire someone with your reputation? Is a sort of a classic way to show this. She had a public relations person who was going to be her expert, and apparently he was claiming about $400,000 in damages, but Judge Rakoff disqualified him as unqualified. So at this point, it's not actually clear that she'd recover any money even if she does win. But as I said, I don't think that's entirely the point for her in bringing this lawsuit. Right. But just to play it out, I mean, I guess it's a fair part of the defense on damages to say that her reputation isn't so great to begin with, right? Right. And in fact, the Times does seem to be planning to do that. There was a bit of a debate over a, apparently she was on The Masked Singer a couple of years ago. And uh, there's a video of her in costume performing and the Times wants to introduce that into the trial. That's funny. Do they want to introduce any of the skits where Tina Fey is impersonating her? I mean, those would seem to attack her reputation pretty directly. That that might come in. And funnily enough, when she took off the mask, someone actually called her Tina Fey initially on stage that day. But uh, she's actually, they were very concerned that the jurors are going to see this because they've already asked the judge to block it from jury selection, which seemed to confuse him because uh, he wasn't playing to let it anyways. But it, it's definitely going to be a bit of a fight over how much of a reputation she has to be preserved. And also, really, does anyone even know enough about this to even think one way or the other way about her any differently than they do because she's who she is? Right. She's been a political figure for some time, and you can disagree with her, you can agree with her. One might argue, I suppose, that this comment by the Times, even if inaccurate, wouldn't have moved the needle very far on those who liked or disliked her. That's right. That's right. I mean, we, we live in a very polarized time, and uh, uh, her partisans are still her partisans, and her detractors are still her detractors. I think she's going to be hard-pressed to persuade a jury, especially a New York jury, that she's really worse off because the Times made a, wrote a sentence five years ago. 
Right. And, and another interesting aspect of this, you know, when these plaintiffs in these defamation suits go forward, to some extent, they're rebroadcasting the original event. So she has reminded me of the crosshair advertisement, which I had long forgotten by way of right. example. They actually, they, they call that the Streisand effect over a uh, lawsuit that Barbara Streisand got involved in over pictures of her house that she didn't want published. Um, yeah, there, there are real unintended consequences for a public figure in pursuing this line of argument because you are highlighting it and you're also giving people the chance to sort of remember bad things about you that they might have forgotten and probably, quite frankly, have forgotten in five years. All right. Well, I guess we expect, uh, uh, barring a settlement at the last minute here, we expect this to go forward, I think, starting February 3rd, correct? Yep, that's right. They're going to do a last COVID test of her. If she clears the test, they'll go forward. If they don't, Judge Rakoff has suggested it might be a while before this goes to trial because the courtroom's limited availability during the pandemic. But at this point, everybody is gearing up for a trial this coming week. And uh, I would be very surprised if it settles. I think it'll be, to say the least, a media circus. Right. All right. We'll keep an eye on it. So, Joel, tell us a little bit about what your practice is. So I'm a what they call a classically a general litigation lawyer. I handle pretty much a, a mix of everything, although primarily what I work on is a lot of commercial cases. I do defamation work, intellectual property, and uh, a lot of employee restrictive covenant work. So I get a nice varied mix to keep my day interesting and occupied with fun stuff like this. I asked that question, but I know quite well what Joel does. He and I work together a lot on some litigations, especially in the technology and payment processing sectors. So Joel and I spend some time together. We also are both involved with our firm's reputation management practice, where we, from time to time, deal with lawsuits like this in the defamation arena and uh, non-disparagement. That's right. All right. So in advance of the trial, you don't usually do closing arguments, but we're going to do one right now. What's your takeaway for our listeners on what's going on here in this case? The takeaway is regardless of what you think about the particular parties involved, th this case could well have a major impact on how newspapers and other media do the reporting. If the Times loses, it will make other papers and other media limit their reporting. Right now, the law says if you make an occasional mistake, that's acceptable uh, as long as you correct it and you sort of move forward. But if that changes, you're going to start seeing media companies self-censor the way they do in other countries that don't have this kind of actual malice protection. And especially if they're not as well off as the Times, they're, they're going to be very fearful of a lawsuit threat from a public figure. And that will obviously have real consequences for our public discussion. I agree with that. I think the lawsuit comes at a time where the relationship between newspapers and the media and politics has grown sort of controversial with a lot of politicians firing back. We've heard now for four years or six years about fake news. And I think this is part of that discussion, right? In yeah, very picture. much. In, in fact, uh, two Supreme Court justices have been, Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch, have both been urging uh, courts to rethink Sullivan. So this is a very live issue, and this is really one battle in a, in a ever-increasing war. We will keep an eye on the front lines. Thank you, Joel. See you later. Bye. Thank you again for listening to Law Brief. 
Now here's something lawyerly, a disclaimer. We are not your lawyers. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, and this podcast does not constitute legal advice. If you need legal advice, you should contact and engage counsel of your own choosing who can best address your own situation and particular needs. You can find more information about our law firm, me, and many of our guests at our website, www.tartarkrinsky.com. We are a mid-size, full-service firm located in New York City and New Jersey. If you want to contact us for any reason, be it comments, topic ideas, or anything else, you can email us at podcast at You can also follow this podcast on iTunes, among other places, and we would very much appreciate it if you rate or review us. I'm Rich Schoenstein, and this was Law Brief. Law Brief.